we're back. I'm Gervier Bra. I'm here with Chmakar Sandu, and we are screen off script. This week, we're getting into the new Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, Marvel's What If, and reflecting on all the major movie and TV news of the week. Folks, it's showtime. Stark may be eccentric, but he's got potential. Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to exit the donut. I told you, I don't want to join your super secret boy band. In our first segment, we're talking spoilers for episode 3 of What If, titled What If the World Lost Its Mightiest Heroes. If you want to skip around, we got timestamps in the description, and don't forget to subscribe. Gentlemen, we're talking about the newest What If. Again, this is if the Avengers basically did not get to assemble. Yeah. Everything falls apart. Again, spoilers if you haven't seen it. The conclusion is basically that Hank Pym is this ultimate villain that takes out one by one, every one of those early Avengers. Yeah, and it's a universe where his daughter Hope dies, uh, being an agent for Shield, which is what then fuels this kind of vengeance in trying to kind of you know hit them back. And I really like this episode because, you know, first of all, it's kind of wild to see every single member of you know, the Avengers get killed, mm-hmm. murdered, die in one way, shape, or form. But then it becomes a who done it. Like the whole episode, you're wondering, all right, who who's behind this? Who's actually, you know, at first I thought, is this like a villainous Ant-Man? Because at, at one point I thought, all right, it's got to be someone that's, you know, from the Ant-Man world, mm. yeah? Um, and then it ended up being Hank Pym, which was sort of a surprise and a shock to me, seeing the kind of animated version of a Michael Douglas character that we've seen in the movies, this grizzled, you know, really angry, vengeful old man. I thought it was really cool. And like I said, I think the coolest thing about this episode is as you're going along, you're trying to figure out who the villain could be. I'm also, I mean, I know this is like partially a kid show, so I don't want to pull the strings too much. But at the same time, I'm also wondering, like, how did he gather the information to know how you could kill every single one of those people? Right. How much information did they have about Thor before Thor arrived on Earth? Right. Because that already is like, hmm, I don't know about that one. Yeah, I feel like in a, what, half an hour animated show, you have to kind of almost, you know, give them a bit of a pass yeah. when it comes to the nitpicking of this, that, how, what, if, you know, all that kind of stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it, absolutely. <clears throat> I think if this was going to be an... Exp- if this story was told, say, for example, over the course of two or three or four episodes, whether it's animated or live action, then you've got some time to fill in the blanks, yeah. right? I just feel like... Because these are half an hour shows, the pace is so fast and furious yeah. that there's going to be some plot holes, there's going to be some loopholes, there's going to make some moments where you're going to maybe scratch your head. But I think for the most part, just to kind of get through the kind of main points, the main arc of this kind of half an hour tight story, just to kind of say, hey, this is a universe that exists where not only do the Avengers, you know, as we know them assemble, they all get killed off. Mm-hmm. But and by the end of the episode, we find out that the... I guess the seeds have been planted for a new version of the Avengers, the one which starts with, I guess, Captain Marvel returning a lot earlier than we anticipated, yeah. and also Nick Fury finding uh, Captain America. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, like, I don't want to, you know, shit on it too much. I enjoyed the episode. Like, I think it was really fun. It ended up being like, yeah, you're right, like a murder mystery, and that was a lot of fun to see. And also, we got to see like Nick Fury just kind of be a badass for yeah. like a whole episode and that was really cool too because we never really get that like we get a small taste of it in the winter soldier yeah but you don't really get too much of it in pretty much the duration of the mcu yeah despite the fact that he's basically like the godfather of the entire operation yeah so it, it, that was a lot of fun but uh one thing i will say just because of current news it was almost jarring when we like the first like minute 
you hear Black Widow's character and it's not Scarlett Johansson's voice. Yeah, we know that there are some actors who played um, these characters in the movies and, and the shows that have lent their voice mm-hmm. uh, to the animated series. And a lot of them still have existing deals yeah. with Disney and Marvel. They're going to be you know, playing these characters for many, many years to come. So that makes sense. And then there are some where they, the, the, the characters and the voices have been completely recast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it is a little bit jarring, especially when you hear a character and you know exactly whose voice that is. Yeah. And then you hear another character and you're like, that doesn't sound like the Black Widow I've been getting to know for the last 10 years or so. Listen, I'm down to like unnecessarily read into it. Yeah. Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> but uh, also, I'll never complain about more Loki. That's just fun. Like, especially yeah. coming off the show and like now we basically go back. This is basically another variant. Yes. Like we we get to see his like life kind of play out as well. Yeah. So that was kind of cool too. And the fact that he's avenging his brother was kind of awesome as well. I also liked how they dipped into a specific timeline, which is basically the first few movies of the MCU as yeah. we know it. Right. So the first Thor movie and you know, the, the first thing, you know, Incredible Hulk movie and you know, all these kind of, you know, early stage movies and yeah. some of the kind of key characters or, you know, I can't remember the name of like that big metallic creature that just spews fire from the first yeah, Thor Yeah, the movie. big bad from the first Thor. The big yeah. bad from the first, just seeing him there, you know, little, little gems like that, I just mm-hmm. think it's really cool to kind of dip into. So let me ask you, so a part of me almost wishes that these what if scenarios were like one scenario played out over the course of an entire season. Right. I think like what we're seeing are almost like just like the shallow version of the story, but like I'd love to see like what ramifications would happen with this what if. Right. Do you think that would work as a better storytelling device? Maybe. I feel like, you know, and I'm, we're going to get to the rating of this episode a little, little bit later on, but we're three in, mm-hmm. right? And this season's going to have 10 episodes in total. And I think so far, you know, we loved the Black Panther episode from last week, right? Where it kind of, it's almost more centralized on a one specific, you know, character and kind of explores what happens when, you know, he or she goes one way rather than the other. Whereas I feel like, you know, the first episode was very much all about just rehashing the events of the first Captain America movie, just replacing what happens between uh, the Chris Evans Captain America to um, the Carter character. And in this one, again, it's going back to the first you know batch of movies from the the, uh, the MCU era, and kind of it's all all about you know what happens when five or six different you know scenarios change, right? Um, I feel like by the time we get to the end of this season. I'm hoping we see more episodes like the Black Panther episode, where from the very beginning, we follow a character's trajectory in a completely different way. Yeah. You know, like the Black Panther in the animated episode of, of you know, What If Episode 2 was completely different to the character that we saw in the movies, right? Um, but I think it's going to come down to maybe more seasons and when they can start to flesh these out. Again, I think like they are probably reading the reaction to these episodes as they're dropping right now, and then they're going to make the decisions of you know where can we go, how far can we take it, can we perhaps expand season two into hour-long episodes where we can go a little bit more in-depth. Um, so that remains to be seen, but you know, since so far, three episodes in, I'm fairly happy with it for the most part. I feel like if we can even just get like a handful of more of those you know, episodes that are on par with episode two, the Black Panther episode, I'll be way more happy than I thought I would be going into the season. Yeah, I, I'm like, I'm not mad at the quality of the show. I think it actually is a lot of fun. And right. I think it actually is living exactly what I thought it was going to be. But a part of me is just like, okay, but now what? Hmm. Like, now I want to see what happens going forward. Like, even like, let's say, you know, like the universe that we're watching right now, would, would you 
enjoy to see the storyline of what would happen with Captain America and Captain Marvel being the first Avengers, basically, in that this whole new squad. Me personally, yes, because I'm all about just the wild, wacky, alternate timeline, and I want more Marvel, and I want more movies, and I want more shows. Uh, but ultimately, I also know who they have deals with and who they don't have deals with. Yeah, sure, sure. Right? But I mean, like, just for fun. Like, I mean, like, because oh, that's the thing, right? Like, that's what these shows are. We're not talking about yeah. a real life contract, this and that. We're talking about a cartoon yeah. that is just dealing with these little, like, fun dream scenarios. Easy answer. It's always going to be yes. Which Marvel fan is going to say no to that? Who doesn't want to see all of these characters explored more in depth? And okay, now what happens? Now we've seen Captain Marvel, this kind of cliffhanger scene have a, you know, come back to Earth early and hit her and Nick Fury and Captain America form a brand new Avengers. Sure, let's see what that would look like and who they may kind of come up against now that there's no Hulk or Thor and, and Iron Man and stuff like that. That'd be, that'd be fascinating. Honestly, of the Avengers, I think those two would be like my worst combination. Right. Like seeing Captain America and Captain Marvel yeah. like lead a team, I feel like that'd be... I mean, I don't want to be mean to them, but I feel like that'd be like the most boring scenario of any of those early Avengers. But what if it was though two plus Loki who's now on Earth? But that's the thing, like it's got to be like versus Loki, right? Like doesn't it? Because he's trying to take over the world right now. I think it would have to be like, it's basically like those two and they're just trying to find other people that are kind of similar to them. And then like, I don't even know who that would end up being in that, in this in this timeline. Yeah, maybe an Ant-Man. What's cool though is we know that this animated series is canon. It's, it's MCU canon mm-hmm. in the respect of multiple universes, multiple timelines and things of that nature, right? <laughs> so it's going to be up to Marvel ultimately to dip into any of these scenarios and pick and choose what they want to perhaps bring into a live action show or perhaps, you know, a movie or, you know, down the road, Secret Wars, things of that nature, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, what's, what's crazy though is like, there are characters that in, I guess, the quote-unquote sacred timeline that are dead, that are alive and well in other timelines. Um, so for me, that's curious because I'm like, well, if a character may be dead, it doesn't mean that the actor may not be able to come back and reprise a different version of the character in a different timeline. Yeah, that's fair. The, even in this movie, or in this episode of What If, I kind of wish that Scarlet didn't die because mm-hmm. at least she would have been kind of an X-factor right. for, uh, let's say, if they were going to move forward with a Captain Marvel and Captain America. Something like something with a little bit of edge, because right now they literally have nobody who's actually gonna kind of play that badass character in those two. Right, right, right. But yeah, what about uh, for yourself? What about best character for this episode? For me, it was Coulson. Like, I just love the character of Coulson and some of the dialogue uh, that character has, especially when he's talking to Nick Fury. It's some of it so so blasé and yeah. so tongue in cheek and witty and intelligent and funny and dry. Yeah, the sense yeah. of humor is so dry. I, I always loved that character. Uh, I didn't know I'd love it as much as I would in the live action, but in the animated, it's just as much. It's such a shame that like he basically dies yeah. in the first Avengers. Like he would have been a fun character to kind of weave everything together going forward. Yeah. Uh, for me, I ended up going with Nick Fury, okay. just because like he led this whole episode. He was like a badass, and we got to see like a fun version of him that like especially in that fight sequence. Like yeah, we yeah. never got to see that version of him in a live action version. Yeah. Uh, what about best scene? For me, it was Hulk exploding. Like, when Hulk dies, uh, and it looks like it's f- caused by a heart attack, which then basically makes him implode. Yeah. I literally just dropped a WTF as I'm watching it. We were both watching it together. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe it. That was kind of like wild to see that visual on an animated show. So uh, that for me was crazy. That was really cool. I went with just the scene of when Thor is walking in and taking out a bunch of the S.H.I.E.L.D. members. And Coulson and Nick Fury are having that interaction where they're talking about his hair. And then he's talking about how his hair is gorgeous. And he's like, it's an accurate description. He's gorgeous. And that was just hilarious for me. I think that's the funniest part of the episode, too. 
Uh, as far as star rating goes, zero being the worst, five being the best. Where did this end up like? Really I landed on three point five. Um, and I think the biggest hook of this episode for me as I'm watching it was, okay, who is the villain? And as they're kind of like knocking off every single member of the Avengers as we know it, I thought it was pretty cool to get that reveal at the end that it was Hank Pym. So that caught me off by, by off guard and it caught me by surprise and I was pretty happy with it. All right, I'm going with a three. I don't think, I don't remember what I rated the Peggy Carter episode, but I'd say this is just a little bit better than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I ended up rating the last week episode around a four. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm still very excited to see where we go because like now it feels like we've kind of dealt with a lot of like the more grounded episodes already. I really hope they have more of like the extravagant cosmic episodes coming out because that's like right, that's, I feel like that's more up my alley, especially right. considering what we got last week. Yeah. I, like that was really up my alley. This was fun. But like it's almost like a detour from like something that's gonna be a lot more fun down the road. Yeah, I know we're gonna get a Doctor Strange episode. Yeah, and I think f- so far from what I've seen, some of the teasers of what this first season is gonna give us, that's probably top of my list of one of the of the episode I'm most looking forward to. Yeah, even that the Gamora episode. Like, there's just so many things that I'm very very excited for. Yeah, but I mean, there's not much more we can talk about with What If, but there's so much news that came out this week. And I think we should go into that right now, especially talking about the new Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. So, Peter, to what do I owe the pleasure? I'm sorry to bother you, sir. Please, we saved half the universe together. I think we're beyond you calling me, sir. Okay, Steven. That feels weird, but I'll allow it. When Mysterio revealed my identity, my entire life got screwed up. As somebody who never watches trailers, this is... Kind of a big development for me. This is the first trailer I literally have seen in maybe over a decade. Yeah. I have avoided all trailers at all costs. Let's just talk about that because I think that's fascinating. I have been through a period like that myself. I think it was from my, almost like my early 20s all throughout my 20s where I would not watch trailers. In the cinema, online, I just went through this massive period. And then after a while, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch them because I kind of went into this mentality of, okay, if the movie is good enough then it'll, it'll still wow me. Uh, but I think it all comes down to how much of the trailer you enjoy the moment as a tease to get you excited and then how much you really like remember, how much is imprinted in your mind before you actually go watch the movie. Because I think that's where the conflict ar- arises. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know what, I'm going to remember this scene, or I'm going to remember that moment, or I'm going to remember that you know, one-liner, and then and when it drops in the movie, I'm not going to get the full effect of it. So that's I get exactly it. what happens to me, because I'll end up watching the episode, or watching the trailer, and then I sit there and just think like, Oh, this guy looks like he's about to die, but that part of the trailer didn't happen yet, so I guess he's not going to die. Exactly. That's what bothers me. But like, I'll go to the extent where I actually cover my ears and yeah. hum, yeah. so I can avoid stuff. And to be honest, like, I can understand like you know watching a trailer for like something that's going to be like Oscar nominated and like it has a lot of buzz around it. Like that's fine. It's not going to be as affected into the actual experience of the movie. But a lot of these like big blockbusters, they give away so much in the trailer, and a lot of like the badassery and like the visuals and all that kind of stuff is just gone like you don't get that first impression back and what happens on a really major trailer like the spider-man trailer this week that dropped happens is is even if you don't watch the trailer it's almost impossible to avoid things like images or gifs or something if you're on social media it's almost impossible this trailer went viral like crazy blew up the internet and And this one yeah you couldn't avoid like i i Even if I didn't, I, I didn't want to watch this trailer at all anyways, but by the time I was done with my timeline, I had known about every single Easter egg that came out of that trailer. Right. Like, everyone was talking about it already, so it was 
too late. Like, there's just no way to avoid anything. So now that you've watched the trailer, and now that you've kind of like broken your own rule after such a long time, what was your experience? What was your feedback? What's your major takeaways from watching it, experiencing it? Okay, so this one thing I will say is that this particular trailer, I didn't feel like I gained too much in terms of spoilers. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm sure like the visuals that I would have been able to experience in the moment in the movie, I'm sure I lost a little bit of that because it does look like a really stunning movie. Like the way they're able to play with the metaphysical aspects of like how they're going to be dealing with the multiverse seems like it's going to be so much fun. At the same time though, in terms of like the reveal for Alfred Molina, the the Green Goblin's smoke bomb, like just the little Easter eggs that they have, yeah. I feel like we already knew a lot all that kind of stuff. We knew walking in that a lot of that stuff was happening. So it didn't really hurt the experience, I think, overall for me. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, let's watch the movie and let's see what happens. But yeah. right now, it doesn't feel like I got spoiled for anything. I feel like everything that we already had known walking into this, we, we've covered this already. I think this trailer done exactly what you ideally want from any trailer from any movie. It gets you hyped up without giving you so much yeah. that you feel like, oh my God, that's a major spoiler. Like, it is wild. It's wild. Like, right now, everybody knows that Alfred Molina is playing Doc Hawk and he's returning, right? And I think the only other kind of, like, let's see what happens, will they, won't they, is will we get Andrew Garfield and will we get Tobey Maguire playing their spider yeah, they, version of Spider-Man in the movie? If you had shown that in the trailer, you might as well just give away the movie. Because yeah. that is going to be... Like, if that does happen... That's a pivotal moment in the movie. That's going to be like such a climax that people get to experience together. And that's the one thing I hope that they don't reveal, if they are actually included in the movie, that they don't reveal in any teasers or, or anything. The only other worry that I have in, on my mind right now is, you know, they are collabing here still with yeah. Sony in terms of the Spider-Man property. And so who knows how these particular decisions are made. But I felt like, you know, when we were kind of going into Endgame, there were so many big moments of that movie that didn't get spoiled. They yeah. didn't come out in trailers or teasers or anything like that. And I think the whole community in general, I remember, really took it upon themselves to make sure, hey guys, like if you've watched the movie this weekend, don't spoil it for everybody else. And they were kind of trying to give feedback and talk about the movie and those big moments in code without spoiling it. So, and, and hopefully as a, as a general, like I guess, you know, nerd, you know, geek, movie, TV community, that's the direction we can all trend towards. Is like, hey, listen, don't spoil it for everybody else. Like, let everybody else enjoy it whenever they end up watching it. But what about in terms of the actual direction of the story? So it seems like the the idea is that Spider-Man is losing his anonymity. Mm -hmm. He's finally revealed to the world that it's Peter Parker. Yeah. Now he has to deal with that. And then he gets to meet with Doctor Strange. And I guess their idea is that he's asking Doctor Strange to reverse this so that he can maintain that anonymity go back to being Spider-Man in secret. Yeah. And at the same time, he doesn't realize, I guess they didn't talk about it enough <laughs> in the moment. And then while he's casting the spell, he tells Peter that, you know what, you're not going to be able to uh, keep that secret for your your buddy, your girlfriend, or your aunt, and like everyone's going to lose it. Yeah. So, I mean, first off, it just seems like maybe have that conversation beforehand. <laughs> yeah. First off. <laughs> but secondly, it's like also, it, Doctor Strange, I feel like you should know better, buddy. Like, if you're playing with, like, all this multiverse stuff and you know there's not too much that's known about it, how are we already, in the trailer, making this massive mistake that you're very aware of? Well, here's the thing, right? I feel like, you know, after the events of Endgame, 
you've got Doctor Strange, who is who must be on a high. Yeah. You know, and we already know that he is a very cocky and arrogant person in his own right, just given his background as a surgeon and things of that nature. He has now become one of the most powerful um, characters in the MCU. Tony Stark isn't there anymore. He's kind of now taking over this role as the father figure to 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 young Peter Parker to, to Spider Man. And and who knows how you know? Again, we only got a snippet of that scene. Let's see how it actually you know rolls out in the movie. How yeah. we get to a point where Doctor Strange actually agrees to do this. You know, you know what kind of conversation is had before he actually you know starts the spell. But the idea of him being the one that is just trying to help Peter Parker by using a spell. Yes, let's go down that path. Yeah. I'm I'm so about that because that's where we're going to start to get everything broken down with all these universes and, and you know everything you know the forbidden door so to speak yeah and, and especially considering it's gonna we're gonna basically get this and then five months or six months down the road we're also getting multiverse of madness for yeah. doctor strange too yeah so all of this is gonna tie together and it's all gonna be like one big like multiverse like experience that we're gonna get within a six month period and, and also just going back to doctor strange for a second it's he's almost very similar to tony stark in a way look tony stark's whole idea of putting this you know, armor around the world, good intentions, right? But because of that, we got Ultron. Yeah. So I think Doctor Strange has the best intentions, just like Tony Stark did, but things go awry, things yeah, yeah, yeah. go wrong. And, and I'm, I'm down to explore that a little bit more. I am very down to explore that. I mean, in, just in terms of the actual trailer, so much success already. So the, the Spider-Man trailer ended up receiving 355 million views within 25, 24 hours. And the previous record was Avengers Endgame at 289 million. I'm not surprised. That's insane. Which is insane. Like, we were talking about it. In terms of actual properties, like Spider-Man or uh, comic book properties overall, Spider-Man is the biggest, I think, in the entire world. Yeah. I don't think it gets any bigger, especially just in terms of recognition. Like, you were saying, for the movie, uh, in terms of, like, from the 2000 movies and how it basically grew the brand, there is just no where in the world where you're like, some kids just don't know who Spider-Man is right. you can go to Madagascar or Ethiopia it doesn't matter kids know who Spider-Man is yeah. like it, I just don't care everyone knows who Spider-Man is and it's kind of crazy that uh, we're almost like at this culmination where like his popularity is just like skyrocketed to such a level that it's even more than like Batman, Superman and like all like the typical like superheroes that we kind of every single person kind of grew up with and then when you take everything that you just said and then you factor in the thing that this year, everything leading to the drop of this trailer and to the release of this movie has been rife with speculation and rumor. Yeah. The, the reporting about you know this character and that character, you know, everyone's been like, when we get that first visual, when we get that first look at what this movie's gonna you know you know look like, there is so much hype around that already. Yeah. And the fact that you know we got what we got. I saw two different reactions online, right? I first I saw my you know a similar reaction to what I had, which is this was a great trailer. It's a great teaser. It gets me hyped up. It hasn't revealed too much. It hasn't spoiled anything from me. I'm good. And the fact that this is this is dropping now at the end of August, and we're only what a couple of months away um, until the movie drops in December. Yeah, I'm Gucci with that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I saw a whole other reaction online where everyone's kind of just like you know rolling their fist in the air crying saying 
Give us Tobey Maguire, damn it. Give us Andrew Garfield, goddamn. I can't imagine why people would want spoilers in their trailers. Yeah. Like, why don't you want to enjoy anything in the movie? Then they're right. going to go to the movie and just be like, oh, well, well, there was nothing else besides what we saw in the trailer. It's either you want one or the other. You exactly. got to pick your, pick your battles, people. Yeah. Can we get into what Robert Pattinson said about the Batman? Okay. All right, so he said that it will be drastically different from the other Batman films. He's really working out his rage. All the fights seem very personal. Obviously, uh, right now, the uh, I forget what the Comic-Con or CinemaCon that's happening right now, there's so much Warner Brothers news that's been dropping for the past couple of days. I think the anticipation for like this brand new Batman film is just slowly creeping on us. And yeah. it feels like it's growing bigger and bigger. Right now, it's, I think it's set to be released in March. What are your thoughts on, number one, that direction for the character, and number two, just your anticipation of that property going forward? The direction seems on point to me because from what we understand, this is going to be Batman year two. So he's already been Batman for a couple of years, but he's still not the, the end product. He's still working everything out. Mm -hmm. You know, He doesn't have all the best high-tech gear, the best suit, the, all that kind of good stuff, right? And the fact that he's still young as Batman, and he's still, like you said, working through his you know rage, that is on point. I am so down for that. And I think we were talking about this earlier on where... I kind of mentioned, hey, you know what? I can't believe it's already been about a year or so since we got that first Batman trailer. And so I'm very curious to see what the next teaser, the next trailer looks like, where we perhaps get a better look at the world, a better look at perhaps you know the villains and things of that nature, because the movie's coming out in March. That's only yeah. like six or seven months away. Yeah, and not only that, but it feels like the expectations for what's going to happen with Robert Pattinson is slowly get, like growing little by little. Like everything, like I feel like people are just starting to like turn a corner and we're starting to recognize Robert Pattinson as like a tremendous actor. Yeah. And the expectations for what he's able to produce are only going to make Spider like the Batman property that much bigger. Yeah. And the expectations for that property that much higher. Yeah. So I feel I, like he's perfect casting age, you know, I'm down for him to be Batman for the next 10 to 12 years. Why not? Like man? like you know, and I'm sure his performance will be, you know, out of this park like he rarely misses. Listen, at the end of the day, as long as DC just stays out of the creator's way, yeah. I'm happy. Yeah. Let them create, let them do their thing because it seems like whenever they dip their fingers in too deep, then it kind of muffles the proper like product at the end of the day. Yeah. Let's we, just keep them as far away as possible. We need more directors like James Gunn handling property like Suicide Squad. That's what we need. Straight up. We yeah. just need I think like the biggest thing that uh, like the biggest thing that Marvel has going for it is that it has a consistent direction and there's somebody over, like Kevin Feige is there basically guiding the entire experience. Yeah. At the same time, that can lead to like a formulaic experience for certain properties like we got, in my opinion, with Black Widow. But what I would like with DC is for it to be the Wild West and let their creators create and let's see what a big budget with a very creative individual can turn out. Yeah. I think that's the biggest benefit. Uh, next we have Oscar Isaac talking about Moon Knight. He says he wanted to star in it because it's an incredibly unusual story. He says we're making something that's quite different and that doesn't follow the same logic of what a lot of superhero films do. He also said that he didn't want to let his bad experience in X-Men Apocalypse stop him from other comic projects. Good. I'm yeah. glad to hear that, actually. Yeah, especially like what I just said with Marvel. Like, My biggest worry is that Marvel turns out to be like kind of like the WWE where they're churning out like a very similar product and a very similar idea to uh, like this philosophy that they have where they just don't want to get away from it. Right. I hope, like my, my biggest hope is that Marvel is able to keep letting their creators just swing for the fences. Like we, like, I mean, and then again, this is just a stupid uh, fear that you can kind of, like I, I've developed just by being a WWE fan, I guess. I hope that what they did with like Loki, letting them kind of do whatever they want yeah. and like kind of just 
go wild. That's what I'm really excited for with Moon Knight. And I feel like they have to, especially if you're going to be working with people like Ryan Reynolds and you're bringing in Deadpool into the MCU. True. Like, there's just no way the audience is going to you know, respect you because they're going to expect a certain level of movie when they're watching a, a, you know, Deadpool yeah. the next time around, right? And, and I feel like you know, they can, you know, yes, you can go to a certain formula for certain movies. Like you mentioned, you know, Black Widow, very formulaic, yeah. right? And it was a prequel movie, so they didn't have to like, you know, you know, attach too much weight to it moving forward. But I feel like, you know, they've already had so much success. They've seen what a James Gunn can do with the Guardians of the Galaxy um, world, right? And they've seen what Taika Waititi can do as well. So, like, they need... need and, I, and I feel like, you know, we, and we've talked about this in the past as well. It's like, so far, for the most part, Disney and Marvel, they do not miss when it comes to their properties. Like, their batting average is way, way high, right? Way more hits than misses, in my opinion. Um, and to hear, you know, uh, you know, Oscar Isaac talk about, you know, Moon Knight, I almost feel like, and I don't know the character uh, too well, personally, but it kind of feels like it's going to be a cross between what James McAvoy played in Split yeah. and Batman. Like this dark sure. kind of like, you know, investigative, um, you know, hero of the night type of thing. And the cool thing is it's set, like, the character is based in, like, Egypt. So it's like yeah. a fun, like, new space for, like, Marvel to kind of play in. Absolutely. Because we didn't, haven't really got, like, a character from that part of the world. And yeah. there's just so much mythology that kind of goes into that. And, like, visually, like, so much fun to kind of play with that whole format, too. Absolutely. I, I really do think Moon Knight, as far as these new TV projects go, like, I think that's my most anticipated one after we just finished Loki right now. And with Oscar Isaac, you know you're going to get a heavyweight acting performance as Straight well. Straight up. Exactly. Yeah. If anybody's going to be able to knock it out of the park, I really believe in that, dude. Yeah. Uh, next, let's talk about a few actually quick hitters. Let's go with uh, Eddie Murphy to return as Axel Foley in Netflix's Beverly Hills Cop 4. I've been hearing about Beverly Hills Cop 4 for about 20 years, <laughs> right? And so, if it's... And look, Eddie Murphy has dipped into his popular franchises with streaming platforms already. Yeah. With Coming to America on Amazon. Now he's doing Beverly Hills Cop 4 on Netflix. I feel like it's a bit of a, a late stage career. Let me just rinse it for what it is. Let me get this last uh, bag. Yeah. Let me get let me get my cash money because coming to America, I did watch it. It didn't it didn't you know hit for me whatsoever. Like the first, I, I'm so fond of that first movie. It's so special to me uh, having you know watched it as I as I grew up. Yeah. And even Beverly Hills Cop, you know, especially one and two, classic '80s movies. Did not enjoy the third one. I'm going to have very low expectations, and if it's enjoyable, then cool. If not, hey, Eddie Murphy, you do you, you get your, you get paid. I think the difference in, say, something like this versus somebody else having like a career renaissance, this is almost like just a, a great band from the 80s coming back just to play their hits. Yeah. And it's like, sure, it's fun, but uh, I was kind of hoping that Eddie Murphy was going to have like his second wind. Right, me too. Um, but next we have Jake Gyllenhaal will star in and produce Oblivion Song, an adaptation of a comic from Robert Kirkman, the creator of Invincible and Walking Dead. So that's number one. The story takes place in a decade after 300,000 citizens of Philadelphia were lost in a cataclysmic event and the protagonist makes daily trips to find these lost people. 
That's wild. That's, that's pretty cool. Sounds pretty cool. You right? had me from the creator of Invincible and The Walking Dead. Yeah, me too. Way more than Jake Gyllenhaal being attached to the project. <laughs> like, that, for me, is fascinating. I like Jake Gyllenhaal. I feel like he can, like, when he gets into, like, a great role, like, I remember, like, just Nightcrawler. Like, that is, mo- like, my most recent example with him. Yeah. He, he When he really wants to be, he can be a really tremendous actor. Yeah. And uh, especially, like, leading a franchise. Like, if this could be a franchise, it could be pretty dope. And, like, I'll take a post-apocalyptic story every single time. A, me too. B, I don't want to bash on Jake Gyllenhaal, but like yeah I actually respect him I love when he's in movies like I feel like he's got some sort of like persona um, or kind of there's something about him the je ne sais quoi where yeah. if he's in a movie you're kind of like really into it and he always has a really you know his range of performances have been quite varied as well if you look at his overall resume right yeah. um, but for me from everything you mentioned given the fact that Invincible is one of the best shows I have seen this year right the fact that the guy that's created that is involved in this project, that is, for me, the most thing that I can get hyped about when it comes to this project. You know, the thing with Jake Gyllenhaal, it's kind of interesting because he feels like somebody who can do anything. He can be in an Oscar-nominated performance. He could be, the like, in a Marvel movie. But for some reason, he never feels like he'd be, like, either, let's say, a Brad Pitt, where he's just by himself, gonna like or like a Leonardo DiCaprio, just by himself, leading man. If this guy's in a movie, I gotta watch that movie. Right. At the same time, if you were to put him as like, let's say he was like Captain America or something like that, I would be like, that's a kind of weird, a weird choice. Right. He doesn't feel like a leading man in either of those regards, but at the same time, he feels like an A-list actor. Yeah. He's, Does that make sense? I understand exactly what you're saying. It's like, he's, you, first of all, you've got to respect the run, right? Like this guy, since Donnie Darko, right, dropped. He has had a consistent run. He's kind of grown and matured in front of our very eyes. But he never at any point branched off and said, hey, you know what? I'm going to be that leading man that's going to be involved in this particular franchise. He's kind of gone in between of working on, say, an indie project or perhaps, you know, a big studio movie. Like, you know, he was a Mysterio in in the most recent Spider-Man movie. So he's trying to, like, you know, I guess do the kind of, balancing act that most actors you know over the last couple of decades have tried to do is stay relevant enough and to get that big payday and to be involved in the movies that you know a wide audience is going to see while at the same time trying to push yourself as a creative person by being involved in you know independent projects and movies that's really going to push you and kind of bring you back down to earth as an actor what about okay i got some release dates for you just hit me with a quick one line of rouge of them uh, first, we got No Time to Die is finally releasing on October 8th. I can't wait. I'm a big fan of Daniel Craig playing James Bond, and this is going to be his last outing as that character. I'm down for it. It's kind of crazy that it's like the last time, and like after all this delays from COVID, it's still being released in the pandemic. Yeah. Last one I got is Matrix 4 will be released in December, and the title is Matrix Resurrections. What are your thoughts? down i mean that's kind of perfect and you know resurrections it kind of tells you exactly what to i guess anticipate knowing who's already involved in the project in terms of the actors Mm -hmm. this for me outside of any of the the big marvel projects is the most anticipated movie of the year personally because of how much of a big fan i was of that first matrix movie the second and third one didn't live up to the hype or the the expectations of the first one but i I still remember till this day there are a handful of movies that I remember walking in and walking out thinking to myself, that was an experience, that just changed the game, that is part of cinematic history, and that first Matrix movie in 1999 is one of those experiences. So it's, that project and that, I guess, um, franchise is always another special place in my heart. Awesome. Uh, all right, 
Let's get into just a quick little follow-up, because last week was the first ever time we got to talk about pro wrestling. Yes. We broke down SummerSlam as a preview, just walking into the event. Again, it was just, we're big fans of the genre, we're very excited about what was going to happen, and th- this past weekend ended up being one of the most anticipated weekends ever in pro wrestling, I think, especially with a stacked uh, WWE SummerSlam, we had NXT TakeOver, and also obviously AEW Rampage with a massive return of CM Punk. August 13th, 2005 was my last match in Ring of Honor, and I famously came out with tears in my eyes. I knew I was leaving a place that I love, and it was a home, and I knew where I was going. It wasn't going to be easy for a guy like me. August 13th, 2005, I left professional wrestling. August 20th, 2021, I'm back. First time for seven years that he entered a wrestling ring. And again, he's signed a new contract. He's part of that new company. And I think that'd be a great time just to follow up on yeah. some of those stories. So first I just wanted to get, and, and again, we watched this together. We watched the return to CM Punk together. After sitting with this for about a couple of days, like what are your thoughts now? Just after seeing him come back, knowing he's actually part of this company now, this brand new company basically, it's only been running for two years. What are your thoughts on CM Punk and AEW? I think it's a landmark moment for AEW. I think this is kind of like the statement AEW has made to say, we're not just here to mess around. Yeah. We are here to be a legit number one pro wrestling company in the US, in the world. The ratings reflect that. Uh, it did a great number on Friday night. And, you know, it's also, you know, taking away from the business and what AEW is trying to establish as a company and as a brand just as a pure pro wrestling fan, I feel like it was just one of those moments yeah. that you'll never forget, the return of CM Punk. He, uh, watching live on TV, you know, it was a communal event. You know, you, the two of us watched it with some other friends at my house. Yeah. And it was something that we all knew was appointment viewing. And we all just shut the hell up and we kind of just put the lights out on the big TV and the music hits. You hear the, the roar of the cat crowd, we're popping, he's on the microphone. And it's the first time he's done anything like that in seven years. Yeah, I've seen so many people compare the the state of pro wrestling as how hot it is now, um, as the hottest it's been since perhaps the late '90s. So, and I agree with that. I mean, me too. Pro wrestling has always been a, a successful, I guess, industry. WWE has been number one and dominated for so many years, and you know, for the most part, still does right now. But we lived the Monday Night Wars. We, we're old enough to remember what that was like where there was a legit competitor. And it brought out the best in everyone. And we haven't experienced that in 20 years. And now it's back again. And it's legitimate because CM Punk is one of a few handful global superstars from this world that is still young enough to perform. And he isn't past his prime. And he's now aligned himself with AEW. It's a massive moment. I think not only that, but you know, a lot of people will remember back in the 90s when WCW was just starting out to try to be competition with the WWF at the time. Eric Bischoff had a conversation with Ted Turner and he asked him, what do we have to do to actually be in competition with Vince, be in competition with the WWF? And Eric Bischoff said, put me on Monday nights, put me against Vince in prime time so we can actually be competition. And he gave him the budget, he gave him the resources to be actually able to, be able to do that. 
This time, we have Tony Khan working one-on-one -on -one with TNT. And the crazy thing is, he doesn't have to ask them, hey, like, what kind of resources can I have? He just asks himself, what am I willing to spend and what am I willing to do to make this company grow to the, like, the potential that it really has? And it's been an incredible journey to be, like, literally from day one, we were in attendance at All In in, in 2018, I believe. That's when it happened. It, it was just the, the biggest independent wrestling event in the history of America. Yeah. Uh, and, and we were lucky enough to be there. That's, to me, still the most fun I've ever had at a wrestling event ever. Me too. And from the start to the finish, it was so much fun. And I just remember thinking, like, if this could be replicated on a grander scale and a more consistent basis, it would just be the best wrestling show ever. Yeah. And the fact that we're watching basically like this week-to-week -week show now, and it's grown from that event, and now we're basically watching where every single week it's like a party. Yeah. When they go to Houston, everybody's having a great time. The crowd is popping. You can like, just, you know, I, don't, I hate to compare, but let's say we did watch Raw versus an AEW Dynamite. Just watch the crowds. Don't even watch the action. Just look how much fun the people in AEW Dynamite are having. They're popping. They're cheering. They're singing along with each other. Just having a great time. And it just, I don't feel like people, when they're watching Raw, they're having that same kind of experience, it feels like. I also feel that there's a very distinct difference between the two audiences as well, in terms of the demos that are more attracted to the AEW product and the demos that are attracted more towards the WWE product. And then, of course, you're going to get that subsection that, you know, enjoys both, which is absolutely fine, right? Yeah. Um, but if, if I'm just uh, you know being honest, when I see a WWE crowd, it's mostly families, it's tons of kids, it's lots of parents bringing their kids to a, a, a pro, you know WWE show, um, you know, and kind of helps them kind of pass on an experience perhaps they had 20 or 30 years ago. Whereas AEW, I feel like it's more just a, you know the lapsed fan, you know the fan that checked out after the Attitude Era or checked out you know in the mid 2000s. In addition to a whole universe of independent pro wrestling fans that here's a, here's a great example you and me are both pro wrestling fans you and me are massive pro wrestling fans right i have only been a fan i think of three brands that i would say i know well enough and i've watched enough of their product in my entire lifetime wwe wcw and now aew you have consumed those three but you have watched new japan ring of honor impact GC, you've, you watch so many other shows and you are so familiar with way more brands and uh, I guess uh, promotions in the world of pro wrestling compared to myself that there are so many other fans that are just like that, uh, just like you, that have a much wider palette of pro wrestling so that when they see a show like AEW almost in, you know, and that show that you referenced that we both attended, it was that the genesis of some of these shows starting to work together, lending talent, um, and kind of kind of grow together. AEW has been leading that charge, and you know that's what I think represents that product. And I think you're right. Like that, what what I really like is like like you mentioned. I am a fan of like so many different flavors of professional wrestling. But for me, what AEW has done really really well is almost become like this this gumbo of all of that it's yeah. it's all these different it's like a variety show there's so many different variations of pro wrestling and we're able to just if you don't like hard hitting stuff you want to see more luchador stuff they got that if you want to see more old school stuff they got that if you want to see like like whatever they're doing in the indies with spamming finishers and just doing like wild stuff like sticking your hand in your pockets and that being part of your finisher <laughs> yeah. cool do your thing that's part of it too and it's just like if you don't like certain aspects of it, you don't have to like everything but I think one thing that I've realized also 
is if I was watching, if I was like completely brand new as a fan and I was just randomly tuning into pro wrestling, if I just saw a bunch of people just having fun in that crowd, I'm more likely going to tune in to what's going on with AEW than right. I am with WWE these days. Right. Um, but let's talk about like pretty much everything that happened this weekend. Give me your thoughts on, because there was two big returns from SummerSlam as well. Becky Lynch and Brock. Yeah. I want to get your thoughts on both of those and just what, how do you think it was executed? What do you think is going to happen going forward? Any thoughts at all? Okay, so I think the biggest takeaway for me is, is first of all fantastic to have both Becky and Brock back in some capacity. Like, and I think that's what WWE has done since the return of going back on the road, getting the fans back, selling tickets, causing some hype, especially not so in direct competition with AEW, but just for them to kind of get back on the map again, because they've been running these shows in the Thunderdome and the Performance Center for, well, since the pandemic started, basically, right? So they had the summer of Cena, and I feel like that's now ended with you know his defeat to Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. He, and he admitted this on the Go Home Smackdown from last week, he's now going to go shoot a movie. I'm sure he'll come back and do a big return as well. He'll be that part-time player, that attraction that will pop back into the world of WWE every now and then especially when there's like a big show like a Wrestlemania or a SummerSlam or something like that right so okay so here his little run now has come to an end the two big returns that we got Becky Lynch what an injection back into the WWE because she you know is arguably you know one of their top two top three stars period not just from the um, uh, women's side I'm talking about period right especially the run that she had before her hiatus the handling though I didn't enjoy it. I, I think didn't. it was I think atrocious. It was really bad. For atrocious. her to come back and to squash Bianca Belair, who has been arguably one of like WWE's biggest breakthrough stars in recent years, period, is mind-boggling to me. So I'm fascinated to see how they handle the backlash of that. I think, you know what I think the biggest uh, takeaway I have from that is the fact that Becky is, I think, a smart person. She's probably watching this product and looking in the past couple of years and just realizing that, you know what, WWE doesn't know how to make baby faces anymore. Right. You can, like, you know, take advantage of something that's organic, like she had as her run, basically, as the man. Yeah. Uh, stemming from, what, two years ago? And she was able to, basically, take that run as far as it could possibly go. I think she looks at someone like Roman Reigns and just the heel characters that are able to, basically, succeed for a longer period of time. I think she sees that and she realizes, you know what, if I'm supposed to have sustained, consistent, uh, just development as a character, I'm almost, I have to be a bad guy. If I am a good guy, that's going to fall flat at some point because that's how they handle their characters and that's how they essentially grow their product. They haven't had a top baby face that has been consistent for decades since Cena basically stepped away. And even while he was at his run, he was being booed consistently the entire time. Right. They haven't had an actual cheered babyface since the late, like early 2000s, I guess. If that's the motivation behind, you know, whether she was given this or whether she has some input in it, into it, but if that's the, the group decision of turning her heel in this run, okay, fine, great, because she's going to have so much heat on her right now. Yeah. And I, I can't wait to see what SmackDown looks like this Friday, uh, especially the fact, given the fact that she squashed uh, Bianca Bella. But she only has to look at the blueprint. Right? She only has to look at Sasha Banks and Sasha Banks' best work as a heel. Look what Bailey and Sasha both did as heels yeah. over the course of the pandemic. They are going to be their best work. They don't know how to write baby faces. It just it is what it is, but right. they, the WWE just doesn't know how to do that anymore. And maybe they don't have to. If, if Bianca Belair is going to be your lone big superstar baby face from your women's roster, and all you got to do is keep having a, you know interweave and play between 
Bailey and Sasha and, and Becky over the next couple of years, that could work, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not as optimistic. <laughs> like, buddy, you know what's going to happen? She's about to uh, have a rematch at the next pay-per-view, lose again, and then fall drastically down the card. Probably be in like a tag team with like Liv Morgan or something like that, and then fight for the tag team titles at some point. I feel like Bianca Belair has... If I called that to a T, like, I just want to remember this timestamp. That's fair. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I feel like Bianca Belair has been one of the stars that has broken through, even though I feel like the booking between her and, and Becky Lynch was really bad at SummerSlam this past weekend. She's broken so many barriers for the WWE. They gave her that big moment at WrestleMania that I feel like she'll eventually grow into this role, grow into her character and have some ups and downs. But ultimately, I think in the next couple of years, she'll be able to hold her own with the Sasha's, Becky's and the, and the, and the, and the Bailey's when she returns as well. I will say, uh, in terms of SummerSlam, I really did enjoy the Edge versus Rollins match. I think that was the best match that they put on for that weekend. I agree. Uh, sorry for that event. But uh, I think, for me, I just, got, I just wanted to point out, man, I was really disappointed with Cena versus Reigns. Right. Right. I watched that match, and every time they booked this match, because I was disappointed in the last one that they had too. Right. Uh, but I just feel like those two just don't have in-ring chemistry. And this match in particular, like... I know some people enjoy that slow building style and like that old school style that Roman does, but like I don't think it's translated to the fans. Like I, I feel like the the way he's able to like take command of the audience is still there. Yeah. But I don't think he's able to have like that next level fun performance when he's actually doing it. I feel like Cena basically went out of his way to like make Roman look as good as possible, but it just for me it kind of fell flat and it made me go like, oh, if this is as good as it's gonna get, I'm not as like fond of this run. Like it's kind of losing its sparkle for me. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago. Remember when AJ Styles and John Cena had that fantastic match at Royal Rumble? Signed SummerSlam. Yeah, I, I arguably one of John Cena's greatest matches of all time. Yeah. Uh, and who knows? Given the time off, you know, he hasn't been in the ring that much. Um, it's it's always hard to say how much of this is due to Roman, how much of it is due to the fact that Cena's been inactive in the ring for so long, or maybe it could just be what you just mentioned. They don't have that chemistry in the ring. And maybe just given the way they both perform and get their kind of moves in, it just doesn't mesh well. Yeah. Who knows what the actual reasoning behind that is. But I would agree with you. For me, Edge versus Rollins was by far the most outstanding match of SummerSlam. Everything about the Edge package, coming out of the brood music and then performing in the ring was fantastic. And I can't wait to see, you know, this is, you talk about Renaissance, right? This is like Edge winning the Royal Rumble, being involved in a big match at WrestleMania, having a dream match with Seth Rollins. He's trying to tick as many boxes as he possibly can during his, uh, this last probably run of his career. Um, but the final thing that we haven't talked about is the other big return. Roman Reigns didn't even have that moment mm. to like really live in the fact that he just beaten John Cena and kind of almost gloat about it as a heel because the minute the match was over, I think, what, 30 seconds into Roman, Roman Reigns' music playing, Brock Lesnar's music hit. Brock Lesnar walks out with his crazy ponytail hairdo with a black vest and jeans. He walks out, the place goes crazy, the internet's going crazy. I could not get over that outfit. It was crazy. I couldn't get over it. I, I almost couldn't enjoy the moment because I was sitting there like, why is Brock wearing jeans? And why are his jeans literally on the floor? Why are they dragging? Why, like, why is he wearing a tank top? Why does he have a ponytail? You can tell he's been living in uh, a remote part of Saskatchewan. Where nobody tells him if he looks good or not. <laughs> yeah, and he's just been hunting and uh, eating meat and working. 
man, I have to say, like, he is looking rip and big. And, you know, I can't wait to see what he looks like without his top on to see if he's still got, like, you know, his, his overall package still going strong there. Because the guy for his age, he looks like an absolute <laughs> just beast. just that as a soundbite. I know. <laughs> uh, man, okay, that one thing I quickly just want to get on is... If you watch one match from this weekend and one match alone, make sure you go out of your way to watch Walter versus Ilya Dragunov 2 from NXT TakeOver. Yep. Literally the swan song for this era of NXT. Like their one last delivery of just to show that they can deliver at this high a level. One of the best matches of the, of the year, number one. And one of the best matches that NXT has ever put on. The WWE has ever put on. It's just such an incredible match. I don't even want to spoil it, but just in terms of delivering quality matchups everything i hope for from the wwe product i got from this weekend because of that one match and this is the crazy thing mad. and considering like what we got for this entire weekend that was in ring the best thing i ever got and this is the crazy thing about wwe they can give you such a wide ra- there's no consistency of what they can give you yeah. like if you look at what they offer in terms of their shows and their products on one show you're gonna get Ilya dragonoff versus walter to arguably one of the matches of the year on one brand on one show and on another show you're going to have Becky Lynch squash Bianca Belair in six seconds that is literally the range then you're going to have a 24-7 championship they literally tick so many different boxes where you're not going to get two straight hours or three straight hours of a specific style or brand or substance of, of pro wrestling it's going to be a little bit of this a little bit of that right yeah but yeah I agree I was watching the show I was working that show if anyone watched the, the first match these guys had, they knew what was coming. The first match was easily a match of the year contender as well. And I really liked the fact that the first match was on NXT UK. This was an NXT UK championship. These two guys are from NXT UK. But the fact due to injury to Walter, they had to delay the match. And then they actually got placed on this huge takeover event over SummerSlam weekend, got so many more eyeballs. I think a lot of people that perhaps don't watch NXT UK or didn't watch their first match, watch these two guys beat the absolute piss out of each other and just you could see the 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 positive feedback and the positive sentiment on social media as this match was playing out live these two just hit it out of the park they just have that raw brutal aggressive chemistry in the ring and they delivered absolutely i really hope they can do something with walter on them like to be honest the main roster i i think that guy is money and he has like, I know he doesn't want to move to America, but that guy is really something special, and I hope they are able to capitalize on that to the highest degree. Plus, he, he kind of feel, you, you kind of feel like he ticks all the boxes that Vince McMahon loves, and a, like a big guy, aggressive guy, he, he could be a fantastic heel. He's almost kind of like so, got some semblance of like a, an, old, you know, an earlier Brock Lesnar without the mouthpiece. I agree. Where he's just brutal, and he's going to just squash I everybody. I completely agree, but you know he's going to end up being like a Vladimir... Uh, I don't even remember what his name is. But, uh, all right, so one thing I wanted to try this week is a brand new segment. Uh, instead of Let's Get Wrecked, our weekly recommendation segment, we're talking about something called Blind Spot. And this is just a show that's massively popular from, like, you know, the past couple of years. And everyone should have seen it, but maybe you haven't. And we're spot- adding a spotlight to it purely because now is the time to watch this show. And the show we're talking about right now is The Sopranos. Are you in the Mafia? into what? Whatever you want to call it. Organized crime. That's total crap. Who told you that? Dad, I've lived in the house all my life. I've seen police come with warrants. I've seen you going out at three in the morning. So you The reason you should watch this is because the movie, The Many Saints of Newark, is being released on October 1st, 2021. So this is the perfect time to start The Sopranos. Jomath, tell me why. 
Well, I just finished my third run um, on this show, and it's still as great as ever. I actually have more respect having watched the entire show for the third time. But you're talking about some of the best writing, the best acting. It, you know, James Galdofini is Tony Soprano. You know, he is sadly no longer with us, mm-hmm. right? And you know, if you want to like invest in something where you may get an additional payoff. You know, in the movie, The Many Saints of Newark, that drops on October 1st, David Chase, the the showrunner of The Sopranos, is writing, or has written rather, and produced this movie, right? And here's the biggest USP, the biggest selling point of this movie is the fact that it's a prequel movie, obviously. It's, it's looking at the life of a young Anthony Soprano. That young Anthony Soprano is being played by Michael Gandolfini's son, uh, sorry, James Gandolfini's son, Michael Gandolfini. His real life son is playing a younger version of Tony Soprano, which is wild. People are so passionate about his performance and about the show. Um, You know, it's, you know, people, when people talk about the greatest shows of all time, people talk about Sopranos, people talk about Breaking Bad, but Sopranos is always in the mix. All right, well, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, watch Sopranos, tremendous show, but John, that's the end of the show for today. Jump with where can everybody find us? Uh, we are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you do listen to us on the Apple Podcast platform, please rate and review us. That really goes a long way on helping us get found on that particular platform. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.